1: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official
0: rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite Georgetown Hoya's basketball podcast. I've got the guys from the big electoral states. i got New York Hoya. As always, Howie Wachtel and Florida Hoya, John Hawks. Guys, it's a pandemic Monday night. You know we're talking Georgetown basketball.
1: It's really yeah. great to be a part of this <laughs> qu-
0: qu- quarantine team.
2: <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's something to do.
0: I like it. I like it. Okay, so I know everyone's dying to hear about the close sadness and madness brackets. But first, let's jump into some of the Hoya's news going on right now. So since we're recording this on Monday, obviously last night was another 2 hours of a Michael Jordan infomercial on ESPN, which Patrick Ewing has been playing a pretty big role. Um this has led him to be kind of making the I guess you can't really go on talk shows, but you know what I mean, he's on the radio, he's on ESPN, he's sporting the Hoya gear. You think that you know, at first I was kind of you know thinking this was kind of a bad thing because georgetown and ewing were kind of always taking l's but do you think this is kind of and i know i talked about last week a little bit you think this is kind of picking up for georgetown getting out there georgetown's brand
2: yeah um you know i guess on one hand if it's sunday <laughs> patrick ewing's getting dunked on um, yeah. again but thanks scotty but um you know, Patrick Ewing did two interviews today, right? He did one on NBC Sports. He did one on ESPN, right?
0: Oh, and he did he, one, like, um, F- uh, Philly Hoy has found, he did, I think it's like a Canadian um, interview. Yeah.
2: He's he's not doing these interviews, if not for the last dance, right? There's no pretext right. to talk to Patrick Ewing, Big East College basketball coach, in the middle of a pandemic in May around Mother's Day unless you're using the last dance as the hook, right? So, and it's, it's an opportunity, right? He gets to talk about, you know, his role in 1990s NBA, and he gets to throw in stuff about Georgetown basketball, occasionally without committing some sort of unexplained verbal gap that confuses the, you know, pro aspirations of his point guard. Nonetheless, any publicity is good publicity.
1: Yeah, I, if he's in the news, it's, it's probably it's probably for the best. Um, i mean i still remember that the the fab 5 documentary on espn was basically a you know a recruiting tool for the school uh, and to some extent the the documentary on requiem for the biggies played a similar, similar role for us just kind of showing how um, how prominent the georgetown brand was during the 80s but it would be nice to have something uh, a little more georgetown focused uh to try to get some recruits i don't all of this has been fine so far
2: you know, I asked Bobby one time, actually a question, I think you and Andrew answered on a podcast like months ago. I asked, do we think that, what do we think has been like the, the the PR, the cultural impact of Patrick doing his Georgetown coach, right? One of the thoughts when we hired him was, you know, he is a famous person in his own right, you know, to say nothing of his years as an NBA assistant, his experience gained in the NBA. He's a pop culture figure in his own right. And so that should have some attended benefits on, Georgetown program it should help sell the Georgetown program and I asked you know because kind of two plus years in to me it felt like yeah that first year you got kind of a bump from Patrick Ewan's notoriety he certainly is the type that gets written about probably a lot more than the performance on the court would deserve particularly from the New York media some of the legacy media but by year two into year three that sort of bubble and kind of burst in my eyes and so I guess the question is how much benefit are we still getting here? I think this, you know, spate of interviews he's been doing, he has some evidence, but yeah, he's still got some tails here. He's still got a Q rating.
0: Well, I think too, if Georgetown could have some success with him as the head coach, I think that this shows, you know, he would be making the rounds, right? So he's making the rounds now because of, you know, history. But I think that if he had Georgetown, you know, let's say, he's got them rolling That you know, the Hoyas are a top 10 team. I think, you know, Patrick Ewing is going to be somebody that is going to be in demand to get out there and that's going to snowball. So it, you know, it turns into the whole chicken or the egg, right? Like how, you you know, to get there, you have to get, you know, you have to get there, but how do you do it? And then once you're there, it'll just kind of keep snowballing. Um, He also spoke in the ongoing, I know every week we do this and I think it's might be the last podcast of the week, but then there always seems to be Mac McClung news. And uh, Ben, our friend Ben Standing's doing a good job of speaking with McClung and his agent. But um, the Washington Post, uh, Kareem Copeland had a QA and a with Patrick Ewing. Kareem did bring up the whole what's up with McClung. Ewing said that, you know, he's still trying to figure out what he's doing. And Kareem asked him, you know, did you kind of get your wires crossed? And he said, yeah, I probably spoke too soon, which is kind of what we all figured. But we've got that. I don't know if that's going to make the print. Washington Post print. I don't know if that matters anymore, but it is. It is online. He also talked pretty glowingly about the Arkansas grad transfer point guard uh, Jalen. It's Jalen Harris. Yeah, yeah. And you know he's fast. He can defend. I mean, basically everything he says is exactly what Georgetown needs. That would be great. He also spoke about Javon Blair and Jamarco Pickett. It, it seems crazy. It seems like those guys, you know, they came in with Ewing and it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but they're about to go on their last go around and to think that those guys are finally the guys. Um, that's kind of what I got out of that interview. I don't know if you guys got a chance to check that out.
2: Yeah. Hey, you know, I'm a weekend print subscriber to the Washington Post, Bobby. So some okay. people do read the art- do read the articles. Okay. But I did, I, I did catch it online. Um you know, for folks, you should check it out for folks who, who haven't seen the article online. Um, it's 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 fairly wide-ranging um, for this kind of interview. Um, I don't know. I've seen some people say, wow, this is really insightful, and he says some stuff he doesn't normally say. I don't know if I would go necessarily that far. Um, but then again, you know, again, you know, random Monday in May during a pandemic, you know, by nature, there's not a whole lot to talk about that's new, right? You can't even do, and actually a lot of the interviews, i been talking about how you can't really have any kind of coordinated face-to-face meetings or workouts or or whatever for the players. There's not a lot new per se. Um, He does kind of walk back in one of the responses. He walks back the uh, the Mac McClung misstep, you know, he's coming back, you know, from the interview last week. Although I got to tell you that actually it's the very first question in the interview. I actually wrote down part of his answer because even in context, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, and I I want to get your guys' thoughts on how he, how this was transcribed or worded. So the first question Corrine Copeland asks him is, you know, what's the state of the program and the next steps ahead? Again, one of these general questions. There's a sentence in there where he's talking about what the roster is going to be. And the way it's written up is, and this is a sentence Ewing uses in the article, or is it alleged to have said, uh, the two guys that are coming back next year are trying to add pieces with that core. And then he goes on to name, like, you know, Bobby, I think you put that on Twitter, basically like most of the returning players, right?
0: Yeah, he included um, Malcolm Wilson, which I thought was wild.
2: I, I think I told you on Twitter, I think he was just naming every player that's returning. Okay. Um, but who are the two guys that are coming back next year? Like, what two people can he be referring to? Oh. Like,
0: what
2: What What two-person cohort makes sense other than Pickett and McClung? <laughs> right did he like I mean that to me reading between the lines is like oh yeah he's still again implicitly assuming that and I could be wrong he's implicitly assuming that both of them are coming back because there's no other two-person pairing that makes sense like you're talking about guys that are just coming back there's six of six or seven of them there's four of them that aren't McClung and Pickett if you're talking about just guys who played a lot of minutes at the end of last year there's only there's three of those guys there's not two so who are the two
0: yeah seems like he's still leaning into McClung coming back
2: i think i you mean know, it's, you could, howie save us here
1: i, I don't I, to, to me I don't really care is the bottom line the bottom line i i think <laughs> it look it's, it's it's clear what happened i mean Mac is testing the waters it's tough to do that these days given given the global pandemic uh but you and Ewing got a little ahead of them. Of himself, and um but in all likelihood, Mac is coming back, and and he should come back. It'll be both, you know, what's best for him, I think, and and for the program. I, to me, what's what's most interesting, just reading between the lines, is it sounds like Jalen Harris. Getting back to the discussion we had last week, it sounds like Jalen Harris is going to end up as our starting point guard, and for reasons we talked about last week, that makes sense. uh Whether it's Jalen Harris or one of the incoming point guard, uh, a freshman as point guard, because the incoming team is going to need a point guard. Uh, I wouldn't feel comfortable having McClung and Blair, uh, one of the two of them, bringing the ball up the court on a regular basis. So if we assume, for argument's sake, that Jalen Harris is going to end up as a starting point guard, that means we'll either have a a small lineup of Jalen, Mack, Blair, Pickett, and Wahab, uh, or Blair would be coming off the bench, and someone like Trudy Bile would would start at the four, which which would give us a little bit more length and probably a little bit more more defense. But I think that's that's kind of what we're looking at at the start of the season, assuming Matt comes back.
0: I think I think also I don't know just because maybe the recruits that you know Georgetown hasn't picked up this year, I think Jamari Sibley might be one of the more under-talked-about top 100 recruits Georgetown's picked up, right? Doesn't it sort of seem that way? By default. I don't think we have a choice. Look at our look at our
1: roster. When guys like Timothy Ego and Malcolm Wilson are being described as part of our core, uh, who, who else is there other than incoming freshmen? So Sibley is the highest-ranked incoming freshman, will absolutely get a lot of run. I mean, he's going to be the, the first guy off the bench uh maybe with the exception of of blair or bile and he'll be and he'll be backing up pickett at the 3
0: yeah no 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 i mean i think that there isn't a lot of within the georgetown fan base a lot of buzz about him you know i think there's been some other guys that have been misses that you know fans were really tracking but this is a pretty big pickup and you know he doesn't get into it in the interview he just says oh you know he's a go getter you know, he gets just very generic stuff all over the place. But I think that, uh, I think after some recruiting misses the last couple of years, I think, I think, I think this kid has a real chance to, you know, something to build on going, going forward. Speaking of going you're forward, right. Howie, I believe there is a change in the calculation of the net that you're pretty interested in.
1: Yeah. This is this was announced today and it, pretty obscure and there aren't going to be a lot of articles on this, but um, the NCAA announced that in its calculations of the net rankings, they were going to be adjusted going forward so that winning percentage and scoring margin are no longer factored into net rankings. Um, people like Brad Wachtel, my brother, the best rockologist <laughs> in the country, uh, are, are you know, going to have to focus on this uh, because this is how the, the names of the schools and the brackets are going to be determined. I I think scoring margin margin, I don't feel strongly about. I think it's perfectly fine to, to remove that from the equation. Winning percentage on the other hand is something that, that grinds my gears a bit. The, the, the big adjustment from RPI to net was uh, was adding in all of these efficiency rankings and that made a lot of people like jay billets happy because you know then you could more accurately determine the truly best teams in the country by looking at offensive and defensive metrics uh and and using that as your starting point so instead of just relying on winning percentage and strength of schedule and opponent strength of schedule you were using these offensive and defensive metrics along with strength of schedule to figure out the net. It's, it's clear that getting rid of winning percentage and scoring margin at the same time was kind of a sop to both big schools and small schools. So, you know, sc- if scoring mar- margin doesn't matter, then there's no incentive for big schools to run up the score, uh, you know, and big schools are, are usually the ones that have higher scoring margin. And they also got rid of winning percentage, uh, which is something that was normally slanted in favor of the small schools. So the two kind of offset one another in that regard. So I don't know if, um, you know, the two changes, uh, you know, significantly uh, make things better for for big or small schools. That said, to entirely remove winning percentage from the equation, in my view, is 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 a little backwards. Uh, I get the focus on uh, efficiency rankings and offensive and defensive metrics, but to remove winning percentage entirely from the equation, I, you know, means that you're, you're removing the most important part of playing basketball games. At the end of the day, it's about winning and losing games. I don't care how ugly you win games. You need to win games. And, you know, from taken from that perspective, I would, you know, it shouldn't only be about winning percentage because you don't want to encourage teams to have cupcake schedules. But, you know, you can't only reward uh, these statistics and metrics. Uh, you don't want teams that are 13 and 16 from the SEC, you know, getting in over a 27 and 4 team from the Missouri Valley Conference that, you know, has worse defensive efficiency than.
0: Arkansas, for example, there's my hot take is this so I think the most important way to talk about it in terms of Georgetown is what would be the effects on the way Georgetown scheduled in Ewing's first year versus the way they're scheduling now how does that affect that
1: so I don't think it I don't think it matters uh, okay perfect because I, I okay. think strength of schedule is on unef- is ineffective. strength of schedule is plays a similar role both then and now uh you know and then when it comes to efficiency rankings it remains to be seen how we'll play going forward okay
2: you know we're down to so we're down to yeah like two factors now in the in the net rankings i mean at at a certain point when does the NCAA just give in and like just get Ken Pomeroy or get Bart Torvik on the horn and just say, yeah, we're going to use your rankings now. We're not that far removed from just a straight up, you know, adjusted efficiency ranking is the criteria here. And it's fine. Everybody loves Ken Palm. People like Bart Torvik. It's, it's, you know, there's a little bit of black box stuff in the back end, especially if you're not mathematically inclined. But, you know... I have a hard time getting too much heartburn over like adjudicating who like the third or fourth to last, you know, at large team is going to be, even though it's probably Georgetown's next pathway into the tournament at a certain point, I don't know. I, but,
1: by the way, just, just getting back to Jamari Sibley, Sibley, I was just pulling up his, the, the article when he announced he was coming to Georgetown and under potential fit, one of the things that mentioned is with Pickett, LeBlanc, Galen Alexander, oh, Myron stop. Gardner, stop. and and Terrence Will- Terrence Williams, it might seem like Georgetown's forward positions are already crowded.
2: Oh. <laughs> well, we never got around to doing that recruiting sadness and recruiting madness bracket, did we?
0: Hey, there's a, there's a, there's going to be a lot of time to kill. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> so it
2: was actually since we're talking about Jamari again was Jamari simply not hurt Pitt for some period of time
0: yeah he was i think
2: that's why he comparatively has comparatively less hyper buzz from the fan base going in it's because he'd been hurt for a while um and just it's sort of an out of sight out of mind thing um it's not so weird i feel like for whatever reason like the the bottom part of the top 100 in recruiting rankings is sort of a weird dead zone where you you can't get overjoyed. About, you know, you're not overjoyed like it's a Greg Monroe type player and you're getting really hyped up about it. But at the same time, you can't try to convince yourself that it's some sort of under-the-radar, like, hidden gem, like I think the fan base is trying to do with a couple of the players we have coming in who are a little lower ranked. So it's this weird dead zone of, like, kind of, yeah, he's going to be all right. So, maybe. Anyway.
0: So one of the last, I would say, really big games College basketball games at Capital One Arena was the NCAA tournament in 2019, the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, which featured Zion Williamson. This is more just generic college basketball news, but it you know relates to Georgetown. So a very
2: disrespectful the Georgetown DePaul game in February.
0: Okay, so anyway, so Zion was here. He had you know part of his one year one-year college basketball tour, and he's, I believe, in a little bit of some trouble right now. Howie?
1: Yeah, I mean, the big, I guess the biggest story in the last week in the college basketball world is that these NCAA investigations are heating up against the schools that were implicated in this, uh, let's just call it the Adidas pay-for-play uh, ongoing situation involving schools like Kansas, Arizona, auburn and a whole host of others and you know i thought this was worth flagging because this is you know for as georgetown has sort of been in the dumps the last few years just watching you know schools like kansas which might have won the national championship this year even still they were a one seed that people were excited about to see schools like kansas and, and arizona just kind of continue to get recruits and thrive at high levels is, is inconceivable when you have recordings of coaches talking about players getting paid by these shoe companies. Uh, It, it, it really, I mean, the things that have, these have been been going on for, for two years right now. And, and yet, you know, people like Sean Miller and Will Wade, go from, you know, surely having to resign or getting fired to being celebrated and getting incredible recruiting classes. Uh with Bill Self there of course was, was no talk of any sort of punishment whatsoever uh or reprimand. And it it, it really it's it, it it it's striking to me that people have just sort of dismissed this. And not only has it been dismissed, but I you know, the like I said, there these schools are getting Top-notch recruiting classes. They're going to the NCAA tournament when we when we used to have NCAA tournaments, and th- the result has actually been, well, let's talk about why paying players isn't a bad thing, and let's let's talk about uh, ignoring what the schools have done and just going directly to the players and empowering the shoe companies even more. And Kansas just signed another deal for I think it was 140 million dollars with. With Adidas, and everyone's just sort of wipe you know, brushing this off their shoulders. Now, the reason for the delay in these investigations is because there was there was a criminal component, and the NCAA needed for that to wind down before they could start uh, their own investigation. But it, this has just been troubling that it's been going on for so long, uh, and so I, I kind of hope that now the pressure will finally ratchet up and people will start caring about this a little bit more because it's it's just been the thing that's hanging there forever and needs to be resolved i think
0: it's crazy too when both arizona where james akinjo ended up and lsu who was also here for that regional and you know will wade was in big trouble and that's where leblanc ended up the fact that those two programs particularly and they do have georgetown ties because of the transfers that they just sort of just keep on humming along. It's really amazing from afar to watch that, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, especially when you look at the way that we self-disciplined our program over the course of a couple of weeks, which I'm not saying was the wrong thing to do, but look at the way that we ended up sort of with four players leaving the program who found themselves in the top 15 available transfers in the country. That's That's how talented they were we self-discipline the way we did and yet all of these other premier programs are are not only the you know you know not disciplining themselves they're the ones on the other side getting you know reaping the benefits of other schools losing players it's it's just it's unbelievable to me especially when you when you compare this you know guys like Bill Self and Sean Miller actively talking about paying players something that is clearly an NCAA violation with what you know espn and and other networks focused on 10 15 years ago keep in mind that bruce pearl lost his job at tennessee because a recruit was invited to a barbecue at his house and kelvin sampson lost his job because he sent one too many text messages to a recruit it's just it it's unbelievable to me that you know the sort of thing that's happening now on such a wide scale basis is not dealt with you know the
0: seriousness that it deserves, the time for the brackets
2: <laughs> whatever 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 Duke was alleged to have been paying Zion Williamson, he was probably underpaid
0: well, you know nothing's happening there, right? I mean nothing
2: well we probably need our resident attorney, Mr. Geiger, on the podcast to clarify some of the issues here, but as far as i've I've read today the the, the request of of Zion Williams from the attorneys seems to be more of a fishing expedition than any sort of like concrete, yeah, hey, we've got you on tape or something saying this stuff. It's more of a, hey, maybe help us out on this case. So it's a little murky there. You know, I, I, I find myself increasingly unable to get too spun up on the issue of, you know. You know, being mad at schools and compensation for players. I mean, I think name image likeness is coming down the pike sooner rather than later. It's to me a welcome development, an obvious logical development. Um, it probably behooves schools to be thinking now about how they're going to navigate that landscape, right? I'm not really, I don't care as much to be backward looking in terms of, you know, bag men and, you know, coaches on wiretaps and stuff. I, it, we, I think as a school, as a program, we've got to be facing up to the reality of of NIL coming down the pike and figuring out how we're going to handle it Um, because we have confidence Georgetown's going to navigate this. Well, they're certainly set up fairly well in terms of their relationship with a shoe company, relationship with some fairly powerful agents and some fairly fairly powerful figures in the business. Um, Can they pull off something like this? Eh, Who knows? Probably not. I have very little confidence.
1: Uh, yeah. it's And it's, it's only going to get more complicated and I'm someone, look, I, I think that I'm fully on board with players, you know, getting, p- getting paid, uh, not from the schools themselves, but from companies and earning what they're worth and endorsements and, and all of that. At the same time, they've, they've got to respect the rules that are on the books. Otherwise this whole compliance and investigation, um, uh, You know, procedure that the NCAA uses is a farce, and it's it's going to get significantly more widespread. That's what the answer is going to be once players are allowed to start making money. Schools are obviously just going to more overtly go to shoe companies and say, "These are the guys we want. Pay them." Uh, They're just going to be a little bit more careful about it going forward, and they won't speak on the phone and they won't use email. They'll, you know, meet in smoke-filled back rooms and say, "Zion Williamson, who will go to Duke again."
2: Perhaps.
0: Well, I want to respect the rules of the madness bracket. Let's do it. Okay. Okay, so first up, we have a... So we're all, just so everyone's up to speed, we're in the second round. We've made it. We've made it out of the first round. It's a big deal around here, as you know. So we've got your classic four, Bobby. five... Matt. What's up? Bobby,
2: I, I, I just got that joke.
0: All right. So we've got your 4-5 matchup. These are always tricky. Georgetown beating West Virginia in the Big East semifinals in 2008. This was a pretty ho-hum win. Roy Hibbert was big. This was Georgetown 72, West Virginia 55. This was a Friday night at the Garden. Um, and the 5-C seed is Georgetown just opening up a can on Villanova at home in 2015, Hoyas win 78-58. This got Georgetown back in the national rankings for the first time that season, and just dismantled Villanova like you just don't see, and you haven't seen much since. Howie, yeah.
2: Um.
1: So this is this is in this is an interesting one, and. I'll I'll say it it's it's a it's a very close call I can't even remember which one I voted for on this one it's it's a pretty good it's I think it's a properly seated four or five matchup the that Georgetown West Virginia game so this was the day before we we beat Villanova this was March 2008 we beat Villanova. Uh, in what was a close game early on, and we came back and hit a barrage of threes against Nova, and it was Chris Wright's first game back from injury. And we got a chance to see Chris Wright in the postseason, and we're like, whoa, this team was already pretty good, and now that Wright's back, it's, this team could really go on another deep run in in the tournament. This game was kind of the the opposite. It, there, there weren't a lot of threes it was just a lot of throw the ball down low to big Roy and let him go to work. He had 25 points and 13 rebounds. This is the one where after the game, he just said, I'm a monster. I'm a monster. Be afraid. It was, it it was fun. It was just like smash mouth Georgetown basketball and reminded us of, you know, how we went up against Pitt the year before and did the same thing. Roy did the same thing to Aaron Gray. It, It was nice. We usually don't beat up West Virginia. So it was nice when that happened. The other game Georgetown Villanova, I've said it before. I think this is the last regular season game when it was really fun to be a Georgetown fan. Actually, I think I think I've said that was the Tyler Adams game, which was 6 weeks after this one. This was the last one of the maybe even the last meaningful home win that I can that I can remember and this was 5 years ago. We just, we smoked Villanova. Villanova was, you know, this was, this was a Villanova team that was number four in the country. We weren't ranked. We raced out to a 22 point lead at the half. And then we just kind of coasted from there. What I'll, what I'll always remember. And so this is the, in the game, DSR and Copeland had 17 points apiece, but what I'll always remember is in the, the last five minutes of, the first half, and I think you can still watch all of this on YouTube. We just went on this run, and the crowd was really electric. And then you we, we, we sort of expected us to take the ball out and relax a little bit. I mean, this was a a, a JT three team that wasn't exactly running and gunning, and instead Jabril just steps up early in the shot clock and shoots a three and drills it as a, as if you know just his own little personal message to nova and it you know that moment that game i think was they were both really special that said it's it's kind of hard to to vote against a friday night win at the garden so I'd, I'd give the nod to the win against west virginia
2: ah friday night at the garden trademark Bobby. um you know you know in that villanova game and that that it's a 17-0 run in the first half you know who's going off during that run in the first half, Aaron Bowen. Aaron Bowen is, is playing like a beast during that round. Um, this, uh, this, this is a really this is a close matchup. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, I liked on casual this morning. Somebody confused this West Virginia game for the other West Virginia game from 08 that's also in the bracket. Um, it's a six seed. I think the seeds would be switched. But um, so who do we vote for in this game? I think. Howie, you said you voted for the West Virginia game, Bobby. Who are you voting for?
0: I'm going to West Virginia.
2: I was really close on this. I think I I went West Virginia on this one too. Um, you know, I, everything Howie says about that Nova game is true, right? I do think it's the last it's the last Georgetown game at home that felt like something, right? Um, I'm trying to think of what the something is, right? Because we've beaten ranked teams since then at home. We've beaten Villanova at home once since then, and it was a fairly big blowout as well. Kind of a similarly of game last season, season before this past one. Um, as far as like exciting kind of like games that are kind of crazy and memorable, like the Seton Hall game last year felt like the standard for that since then. But this was this was nice. It also importantly, that Nova game was the one that got us back into the top twenty-five. Then. And we stayed there for the better part of the rest of the season. And that's not an unimportant thing, right? They had pretty much spent the whole 2014, or a large part of 2014, out of the top 25. Um, So to get back in, that means something. Um, They had a great overtime win over Marquette, I think that's also in the bracket, later in that week, that that kept the the top 25 thing alive. Um, These are really... These are very much, these two games are very much a, a West Virginia game and a Villanova game, though. Um, some weird stuff with the box scores. You know how many combined free throws the team shot in the Big East tournament game, the Georgetown West Virginia game? This is a weird one. 17, 17 combined free throws in that game. Georgetown was one for seven from the line in that game. Um, didn't matter. Um, so 17 in that game. In the Villanova game, the teams combined for 68 free throws. So, yes, it's a Villanova game. Um, Villanova See, had more points from three than two, more p- points from free throws than threes. You
0: know, you
2: do, right? Um, you want to talk about Friday night at the Garden, Bobby?
0: Well, do you remember the way that, that Big East tournament set up? And what that? Just the way that the the results went on Thursday.
2: So I think I I know that with the the other side of the bracket, this was a a one versus five game. I think the other one was six, seven, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, you know, so Pittsburgh was, Pittsburgh played on the opening round and they had a hard game against Cincinnati that, you know, Pittsburgh against the win of the tournament. We'll get to that later, but you know, they had to survive Cincinnati. They go to overtime against Louisville, who's the two seed. Marquette just takes down Notre Dame, who's ranked in the top 15. Georgetown, obviously, they're playing West Virginia. This, to me, I remember after Georgetown had beaten Villanova thinking, I think you want to play West Virginia as opposed to Connecticut. Connecticut had a better season. And as John, you've brought up before on this podcast, that 2008 season's kind of weird in the way that the Big East was and the rank of the. I'm sorry, the lack of ranked teams and Georgetown snuck by both West Virginia and Connecticut. So you're kind of thinking, who would you rather face? Um, I thought West Virginia was the team and then just come out and just obliterate them. And then you figure, wow, you know, Notre Dame and Louisville, they're gone too. This is this is starting to look pretty good. Uh, so in that moment, I was already thinking final four. <laughs> <laughs> so Obviously the game is bigger than the Villanova game because it's in the post season, but you know, at that, in that moment, I don't think it was crazy to think that. And I know, I know I get um, accused of a bunch of stuff online right now about thinking the other way, but in that moment to me, that was just like, wow. Like, and Georgetown, you know, they won six of the first 10 biggies tournament titles only one since, and they've only won back to back once. So this was also like, you know, you went back-to-back regular seasons. You went back-to-back post-seasons in the Big East. It was really, you know, so at, at that moment, it was just like, wow, like all, all systems go.
2: Was it – who was it that brought up that the concept of the double-double, right? That, that you, the thing you just mentioned, Bobby, where you win the conference regular season and the conference tournament in back-to-back years. Yeah. Because that's what Georgetown was on the verge of in this tournament. I, I, I went back and double-checked the, the stat on this. I think, as far as I could tell, it's only happened once. Um, the 98, 99 Yukon Huskies did it and we came within a game of doing it. Um, so yeah, yeah, you'd be, you'd be forgiven for being fairly optimistic given how that, that tournament played out. I think in retrospect, you know, if you take out Louisville, who we were playing for the regular season title in the last game of the regular season, probably three through seven or so in the big East that year was kind of interchangeable. Um, yeah. You know, Connecticut, if you're thinking back, I'm thinking back in terms of matchups, right? Connecticut had a, probably a better front line than West Virginia did, and it certainly bared out in this game. You know, Hibbert, not by accident, had a monster game against probably an undersized West Virginia team. But, you know, um, so, I mean it does tie those two games together, this is the, the, the Connecticut game that we beat them at, at uh, Verizon Center. And then this West Virginia game is two of Roy Hibbert's three career three-pointers. He randomly popped out for a yep. three-pointer in the first half, just to, just to prove he could still do it.
0: I think he hit one against Hartford but, as well.
2: Yeah, it was one of the non-cons that year.
1: And by the way, I'm just, I'm I'm seeing now the for for some reason it appears that you can you can vote in this bracket either on the website or on uh, in response to the casual tweets. Looks like this one was not tweeted to the masses. There have only been 27 votes on this matchup and it's currently 14 to 13. So the winner of this one might still be TBD.
2: That's well, good. It's, like, it's, it's fairly close. So, wow. So wanted... voting
0: in this game is like voting in like South Dakota. Your vote like matters way more.
2: <laughs> we
0: mentioned elections at the
2: start of this, you know, the first election I ever voted, I grew up in, in Palm beach County. I voted in the 2000 presidential election in, in that part of Florida. So, you know, you're oh, goes... wow. Um,
0: So we're going three and zero.
2: Yeah, let me talk about let me talk about the reason I actually ultimately voted for this game because it has to do with Friday night at the Garden, right? Um, I I I live in the D.C. area, so I'm not you know people who live in the New York area or the tri-state area, it's easier to go to you know all the Big East tournament if you plan it properly, particularly to the the Friday night games. That's the one that's always the most popular with fans because it's the doubleheader and you get to see four good teams, right? Um, As a fan, so I'm this is i'm just not too long into my my, my current career at this point in 2008 I'm, I'm living in the dc area this the way the Big East tournament always sets up then is if your team makes it to friday it's an interesting dynamic on friday because you're watching the game and my my wife and i you know would always intend that if georgetown makes the final we're going to go up to new york city to watch the game and we're fortunate in that she's got family in different parts of New Jersey, including right across the river. So we've got friends we've stayed with in the past that live in in different parts of New Jersey. So it's easy for us logistically to do that on short notice. But it's kind of fun in a way to be sort of flying by the seat of your pants to go from, yeah, I'm gonna come home from work on Friday, get an early dinner, watch the seven o'clock, and we always seem to be on seven, the East Tournament game. And if we lose the game, you know, this time tomorrow, I'm getting back from the grocery store and just hanging out. If we win though, I'm getting in the car going up to New York and I've got a nice fun day and evening planned here. And so this is nice. Cause you remember that feeling of, Oh my gosh, we're going to get to go. And you're already by like the middle of the second half checking StubHub to see what the movement on tickets is calling people, you know, you got an extra and that sort of thing. So it, it brings back a lot of memories. Um, the actual trip I took the following day. Is less also, so. It,
1: it was better back in the day too, because Friday night was, you know, when the biggest tournament, Championship game was one of the only ones on Saturday. You know, that the Friday night semifinal was kind of the only game in town. Now that other conferences have moved their final from Sundays to Saturdays, including the ACC, it's a little bit less yeah. special, but it's still Friday night in New York, Garden. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. There
0: you go. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, growing up, it was always. The final was on Sunday, which was kind of crazy if you think about it, to have the Big East final on Sunday afternoon at noon. Yeah.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com.
0: Okay, so we're going to the sadness bracket. Uh, do we want to take a second just to talk about why a Georgetown podcast is doing a sadness bracket, or do we want to just say, "Look, if you're listening, clearly you're interested in this."
2: Uh, do we have to, Bobby? No, I mean, <laughs> look, I think you, like, I think you and you and Andrew and Ben covered this pretty well last week, right? The story of Georgetown is you know, for better or worse, that yes, we've had some terrific wins and we have been at times a dominant program within the Big East and nationally. But just our fate in life is that we are more well known for the prominent losses that we've had, whether it is losing to Michael Jordan in 82 or being on the wrong end of one of the biggest upsets in championship game history in 85 or Dunk City, right? It's just, it's our station in life. To be this person we are the sort of andre the giant big bad heel that gets knocked out by hulk Hogan. you know it's just just what we are you know the other thing i would add is so many of these games that we talk about yeah there's box scores and there's you know this player or that player and this decision or that decision but fundamentally these are about the experiences you had with the people that you're friends with your loved ones your classmates watching these games, going to these games, and I don't know about you guys, but when I talk about games with my friends, we're not just talking about stories from the games we want, right? Like, there are stories we talk about from the trip we took to Raleigh. There are stories we talk about from, when we went to Providence in 2010. Most of the people I know were at the Dunk City game, right? There are still memory, I can talk about the people I had a beer with in the parking lot of the Wells Fargo Center. These stories still matter, right? It's also therapeutic to be perfectly honest. I don't think you can get through the last five years of Georgetown basketball without a healthy sense of dark humor.
0: You cannot, Um, I, I, you, you cannot.
2: It is well nigh impossible. My friends and I could not keep going to games unless we could laugh at ourselves.
0: Okay. Yeah. I I,
1: I think, look, I I think it's, it's, it's three things. The, The first is what you just said. It's the sense of shared experiences and camaraderie and, You know, you you remember where you were, who you were with. And, you know, even if it wasn't your favorite experience, it's something that you don't forget. And another thing I'm, I am typically optimistic about this program and and our team on 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 an annual basis. We're going to emerge from this. We're going to eventually be at the top of the conference again. And the fact that we've had so many low lows, uh, especially in the last few years, will make it that much sweeter when we're back on top. And also, I think, you know, assessing some of these losses with the passage of time instead of just in the moment kind of helps you reflect a little bit more and look at look at some of the box scores, look at some of the key moments that you may not have focused on,
0: uh, you know, in real time.
2: If nothing else, this podcast has been terrifically rehabilitating for Craig Escherich,
0: <laughs> it, it absolutely has. And the next time I, I see him, I definitely will not tell him about it.
2: John and Howie said hi, or don't. I will add one more thing. Um, we, this is all fun, and I, we enjoy doing this, and we're, we're glad for all of our listeners, and we really appreciate you all. We do not, at the end of the day, matter. Um, we do not have any sort of outsized importance on the program, right? Uh, casual Hoya is not causing your favorite recruits to commit to North Carolina, right? Likewise, you are not getting the recruit to come to Georgetown by tweeting at them. So please stop doing that. Okay.
0: I think I know who you're talking to. I think I know who you're talking to.
2: It's one of several people I could be talking about or two, That's true. but go on, keep doing what you're doing. Be a fan of the program. Like we, we, it's important to have a lot of fans who are passionate in different ways. Just recognize that your passion is just that your passion, just feel free to authentically react to the games. However you see fit. comfortable in the knowledge that Patrick Ewing's not going to notice one way or the other, nor is Recruit X. Now let's talk about how Patrick Ewing screwed up the end of the Villanova game this year.
0: Oh, yes. So we have we have an upset getting through to the second round. So this is a sadness bracket. This is this year's. This is Jagen's senior day. This is Villanova 70, Georgetown 69, one of Georgetown's last games of the season. Going up against the five seed, which, I mean, this is to me is just a program changer in my opinion. Cincinnati beating Georgetown 58-46 in 2011, where Chris Wright broke his hand. And with it, Georgetown's season going forward, which, well, did not go forward. Um, real quick before Howie gets in here, you know, with all the talk about McClung, testing the waters, is he coming back? Did Ewing say something early? At the end of this game, when I was done doing what I needed to do, I thought to myself, or I think I might have tweeted or I was talking to people about it, but this was the, I was telling people, this might be a game where Jamarco Pickett decides he wants to test the waters, right? Like, he looked like the guy that is going to have a chance to play in the league a little bit. He was seven for nine. He hit four or five from deep, 20 points. Uh, Terrell Allen had another great game. For being the guy on Blair Island, Javon Blair, a real stinker in a bad spot, three for fourteen. He was almost it was one for eight from deep. Um, Georgetown would have been a great send off for Jagan. and then, like I said, I can't say enough about the Cincinnati loss in 2011 that basically just ended Georgetown season. I will say, and maybe at some point we'll get into a what if for every season. I think the weird thing about that Georgetown team and the way that they lost out after Chris Wright hurt himself was that JT three didn't just sort of give the keys to the car to Markel Starks. I thought that was odd at the time. It looks, it, 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 it's not aging well, but that's sort of my takeaway from that is just let this kid go. I think they, they tried to kind of a combination of Freeman and Clark at the point. It just, it just didn't work. That's my, that's my matchup. Yeah, so this is,
1: so you said, it's a, our 13-seeded Villanova beating Georgetown, 70-69. to 69. Uh, Jake and Mosley, senior day. So in this game, this is going to be the one that's very fresh in people's minds. We We battled back from a 17-point deficit. We're up by four with less than a minute to go. We're up by two with 10 seconds left to go. And that's when we saw some uh, improbable things take place. The goaltend Jermaine temps. Samuels, right? Jermaine Samuels, Samuels was fouled by Pickett, even though he wasn't really fouled. Converted after a ten that wasn't really a goaltend. Villanova goes up by one, and and that was it. it you know, it, it's important to keep in mind here that. I, this Villanova team was really good, really good. I think if there was an ac- if there was an actual NCAA tournament this year, this is a Villanova team that would have a very good chance to go to the Final Four. Villanova really got much better as the season went on. They were they played exceptionally well in February. Villanova raced out to a big lead in this game. We were playing without McClung in year seven and our four transfers. We had no business being in this game, and we weren't in this game early. The first half was looked like it was going to be a runaway. And then at the start of the second half, we start creeping back. Uh, we we get back in the game. The crowd starts getting into it, really just rallying around guys like Jake Moseley and Mosley and Terrell Allen in their last time playing at home. And it was incredible. And for all of Ewing's uh, kind of disappointments in the last few years, you gotta say that the players come to play for him. Uh, the fact that we were playing with that much intensity and hunger, you know, down by 17 in our, in our last game, uh, which was arguably fairly meaningless, even though we still had a chance at the NIT at the time, it, it was, it was nice. It was nice to see. It was nice to see the hunger and the passion. The result was terrible. Um <laughs> And it would have been a lot worse, by the way, if we if we were playing for something, if we were playing for NCAA seating, if we were on the bubble, it, it would have been that much worse. But because we were playing for comparatively not much, you know, it the end result was just feeling bad for Jagan, I think.
2: <laughs> it's two really interesting counterfactuals with this game. Uh, you know, if if Jagan Mosley doesn't exist, right, uh, does this game hit differently? I mean, it hits for me the way it does, and I voted for this game because of Jacob Mosley, who I think is like the one, I think I've said before, is the 1A and 1B of most likable Georgetown player in the time I've been following the team with Jason Clark. Um, If if Jacob Mosley's not on the team, does it it feel as bad um, that that they don't win it? And if the game meant something more, right? If it wasn't just a team that was basically 500 or a game below 500, if we were actually competing for real tournament possibilities or serious tournament seating, or if this was a biggest tournament game, does this seem even worse the way it happened, the way it went down? Um, I don't know. It was certainly – it was a certain kind of painful. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if this – you know, I wish this was the last game of the season and not the, the biggest tournament game against St. John's, which was awful. But if this had been the last game of your season and you went out this way, like on some level you think, you know what, I don't think the team that was on the court that day could have given anything more than they did. Um, four four of the starters played forty minutes. I mean, Jamarco fouled out on the last possession, so he played like thirty nine fifty four. But four guys played forty minutes. You know, Wahab played thirty. Um, they're you know they're, they're guys. You know, in a game where Javon Blair shoots fourteen shots and Terrell shoots eighteen shots, like these are guys leaving everything out there. Um, yeah,
1: so, yeah, you're right. This this would have been had we. Pulled off this upset, it would have been like what was it? The finale to the movie Necessary Roughness.
2: <laughs> you know, the, the
1: the the team comes together at the end. Uh, you know, after eking out a a victory in the rain by a, a last second field goal, then they stun the, the top ranked you know uh, team in Texas. You know, it would have had that feel good story to it. Um, but just getting to that, so I think a different way to frame this is, you know, because you you focus on how bad you just felt for Jagan Mosley. And I think that's, I think that's, that's right. This is kind of a battle between feeling bad for Jagan Mosley and feeling bad for Chris Wright, right? I mean, this was maybe Jagan's, you know, saddest moment for those of us who rooted for him versus Chris Wright's saddest moment. Uh, Because, you know, this was, keep in mind, Chris Wright breaks his hand. That was also Chris Wright's senior year that was also Chris Wright's last home game. Uh yeah. so their last moments on the court resulted in sadness and they these are two guys who, you know, jointly now hold the title of having the heart of a champion in our program. So a lot of it just comes down to what you think about these these individual players. I will, you know, Bobby made a lot of good points already about what this game meant for our season and I, You know, it's it's worth pointing out though, just that Cincinnati game. So we might have lost that game anyway. Um, Cincinnati always played us tough. You know, we it it was close. It was close though in the beginning of the second half, and then Cincinnati started to pull away. But just looking at the box score here, Julian Vaughn. In 31 minutes, he had three points. He was one of nine from the floor, and he fouled out. Chris Wright in 24 minutes was 0 for 6 from the floor. Jason Clark in 30 minutes was 1 for 5 from the floor. Markel Starks in 11 minutes was 0 for 3 from the floor. I mean, it's just Hollis Thompson in 20 minutes was 1 of 4 from the floor. We shot 25% for this game. We only made 12 field goals. 12 field goals in the entire game. The only person on our team, look at this. The only person on our team who had more than one field goal was Austin Freeman. I mean, that is re- that, these are remarkable statistics that no one no one remembers because everyone just remembers the, the Chris Wright broken hand. But it's unbelievable. And just on Bobby's point on Markell Sark, this was I think this was Markell's freshman year. Yeah, I I don't know that I would have just thrown him into the fire at the ver- you know the tail end of that season. He wasn't the same. He wasn't the same type of player that he became. I think midway through his sophomore year, it might've been a little bit too much for him to handle,
0: handle as a freshman. Here's why I think you do it because you go from losing Chris Wright to also losing Austin Freeman. Cause you, you make him do something he's not, he can't do. So, yeah. you you know what I mean? So I, this is one of my big things. Um, and it's, you know, it's at the end of the season and, you know, Markel Starks, it's not like, you know, it's not like he went to some public schools. I mean, he was—he was a pretty big recruit. He was obviously playing behind a lot of really talented guards. In you know Freeman, right? Clark. There wasn't a lot of room there. You know, Hollis is a, you know, kind of like a a big two guard. So to me, that was just like, wow! I can't believe this is really the plan. And you know, it wasn't like the NCAA tournament was the next week. You know, they had they, there was a little bit of time to be like, okay, look, what's what's the plan? Um, Now, going away from that, I want to get you guys' opinion on Senior Day etiquette. Now, it wasn't Senior Day. You mentioned it was Chris Wright's last appearance. Do you remember before that game, and maybe it was just the group that I was with, there was sort of a buzz that Chris Wright was going to dress out and play just for a second against Syracuse just just to experience Senior Day? Would you guys have been for that? Just you know, just to get out there?
2: You know, go for it. Like it's not gonna I mean we we're fine with Tyler Adams, right? I would yeah. be fine with Chris Wright, sure.
0: And then I don't think
2: Jim Baham's letting him score, but
0: No, I'm no, I'm not I'm not suggesting he that he gets to score. Um and then George Mirassan, as how he mentioned all all the guys that were playing forty minutes and Jamarco almost did because if he doesn't foul out, he plays forty minutes. Um right before that, you know, George Mirrison was starting you know, to matter a little bit, as far as, you know, effectiveness on the court, like you needed something from George Miroson. And he almost didn't play on senior day, which I thought was kind of weird. And I know, you know, Dean Smith did it forever, you know, you start your senior or maybe it's been North Carolina, you start your seniors, just because if you get yourself in a close game like this, then you start to think, oh, God, I didn't put Mirasan in yet, you know, and it almost Uh. happened. So, you know, just kind of a kind of a side, kind of a a little bit of a detour from the actual sadness, to sort of, you know, what to do on senior night.
1: It's very, it's very context specific. I mean, how meaningful is the game? Who is the opponent? How, how, how many minutes does, does the senior normally log? I think there's a yeah. lot of factors that go into that decision. I mean, nor, you know, in a vacuum, I don't have a problem with it. Sure, play the seniors for a little bit at the beginning of the game, but I, I don't
0: feel that I mean, I think they way. went down 9 nothing anyway. And I remember thinking, why isn't Mirosan in? Like, <laughs> I, I just think, yeah. So I just think that, you, well, I think I, rewrote, I think I rewrote my AP story like three times. Uh, I think that you just sort of take away the thinking, right? Like, you know, Patrick doesn't need to worry about, oh, God, I got to get, you know, the senior in for a second because it's, you know, it's a big day for him, you know. And I remember just as it was happening, like, wow, like, Mirasan's not going to play. You know, you know. So, I know it has nothing to do with who wins this matchup. I just wanted to get into senior day etiquette.
2: <laughs>
0: Did we decide what we're going with? I'm going with obviously the Chris Wright.
2: I, I'm going with the Nova game. I, I do. I do want to push back a little bit on the Chris Wright narrative. I know that's been the narrative in the in, in the fan base. You know, since that season, right? That like Chris Bright broke his hand, and then our season, that was the end of our season, right? That, that, that event turned us from a contending team into a, uh, we're not going anywhere team, right? Is that a, you know, That's that been sort of, I'm shorthanding it a little bit, but I do want to push back a little on that. So to, to allude to a point we made before, when Chris Wright left that game against Cincinnati with his broken hand, there was 11-17 left in the game. We were down 14. We were not winning that game. We've covered the box, so we were not winning that game, so it didn't cost us that game. It was game 16 of the Big East season. That game dropped us to 10 and 6. Um, the following game was the home game against Syracuse. We lost a close, low-scoring game. It's sort of a toss-up. We had beaten Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. That's the one game I think Chris may have made a difference in. Game 18, was at Cincinnati, we got blown out. I don't think we're winning that game, Chris Wright or not. And then in the Big East tournament, you, you, you luck into – UConn in game two of the Kemba Walker run to the national championship. And then in the tournament, you get BCU on their way to the final four. It's terrible luck. And I feel bad for Chris Wright because he really only got to play in one tournament where he was fully healthy in 2010. But I've always thought that the injury didn't really make that much difference. I think that team is almost sort of, they had that eight game win streak that had ended a couple of games before. I think they had just run out of gas by that point. They didn't really play a good I- game. You know, after about the UConn game, they lost two games before the game where Wright broke his hand.
1: I don't know. And I'll, I'll push back on that. I I mean, I, I, I would definitely vote for the Chris Wright game here. You know, to me, we were, we lost that game. We were, you know, and we, we shouldn't have lost. We were, we shouldn't lose a game playing at home. We were, we were number 11 in the country and, you know, we were on a nice little run. This was a big win for Cincinnati at the time. Cincinnati was, was playing for its tournament life. They were on the bubble, and I think it was their something like it was their first road win against a ranked opponent in twenty twenty games or something like that. It was a it was a big deal for them. We had a little bit of a clunker. We still would have lost the game if if Wright finished it. That said, again, we were we were we were eleventh in the country. I think we would have beaten Syracuse at home. Our our, uh, which you know would have been. Chris Wright's senior day, I guess. I think we would have won that game. I think with Chris Wright, I know we got blown out at Cincinnati, but after losing at home to Cincinnati, coming back at full strength, I think we would have had a chance to win at Cincinnati. And even if we didn't, you know, with one more win against Syracuse, we would not have been an eight seed, I don't think, in the Big East tournament. It would have changed things a bit for us. You know, if we come in as a six or seven seed, with a healthy healthy Chris Wright, maybe that tournament actually means something. I, you know, and then we're also not a six seed in the NCAA tournament, so we don't get VCU. We really should have been a four or a five seed in that tournament. And things could have turned out a lot differently or we could have lost in the first round. We'll never know. But that, I got to say, that 2011 tournament of every, I think of every Big East tournament in the last decade, this is the one I just, I have, very little recollection. I just remember just being sad because <laughs> Chris Wright wasn't playing. We had this depleted team, and I just don't think we had – like. and we lose by 17 to Kemba Waka and UConn in that 8-9 matchup in the second round. I, and and the game wasn't close, and we were just sort of like praying that Chris Wright played. And not only did we end up as a, as a, a sixth seed, that's with a lot of uncertainty about whether Chris Wright would even play. We didn't know until, you know, really – those last couple of games, I think, had we known that he was going to come back before the brackets were released, we might have gotten a better seed anyway, even with the losses. So that really, that uncertainty really killed us. And just one, one little aside on that 2011 tournament. Just So this was nine years ago now, just to show you how things have changed. The 10 seed in that tournament was Villanova, and Villanova lost to the 15-seeded South Florida Bulls by one. Another fun fact, that same Cincinnati team that beat us twice down the stretch lost in the Big East tournament to Notre Dame in the quarterfinals by 38 points. Um, Classic Cronin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We need a 30 for 30 on this.
2: On Nick Cronin, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My only only, final comment on this is that this is an interesting matchup in our bracket because we have one game, the Villanova game, where we're talking about how a team that lost four significant contributors from its rotation through various reasons um, and then had injuries on top of that, they lost six guys out of the rotation, was still competitive with Villanova and playing above above themselves. And the Cincinnati game, we're talking about a team that lost its starting point guard, one of its best players, but had a way better roster, and yet completely went to hell. I mean, so, you know, I, I'm giving, I'm giving the, the, the guys against Nova credit for not completely falling apart.
0: Yeah. I mean, look at just, you know, when you when you talk about that in that Cincinnati game, you look at who's on the bench, okay? You've got Hollis Thompson played in the NBA for a little bit. Markel Starks ended up being an all biggies performer. He's still playing pro. V Sanford, okay, fine. You can't hit on all of them. Henry Sims... Uh, I was talking to Ben last night. I did an over under on how many NBA games um, Henry Sims played in. It's like a hundred. I think it's like 150 or so. A lot of them are the Sixers when they were, you know, trusting the process. But those are NBA games, okay? And Gerald Benamin, who you know transfers to Towson, becomes just an unstoppable force. Uh, plays in the NBA. I think he's got a couple 10 day contracts with Utah. That's Georgetown's bench. Yeah. God. You know what Georgetown's bench was like this year?
2: 2011 is a weird year. 2010 was the really exciting, like almost not literally here, cocaine-fueled kind of season where all the games were crazy. This one, like it's a deep roster, and yet all the games are really kind of drudgy, sludgy, low-scoring. I don't know what's up with this season.
1: I, I know we got to keep it moving, but let me just say in response to all of that, I think looking back now, with the passage of time, uh, even when Wright was healthy, so our our starting lineup included Julian Vaughn and Nate Lubick, two guys who really couldn't shoot from the perimeter. Uh, now we needed them for rebounding and defense, and and certainly Lubick's passing. But you could make a really strong case that Hollis Thompson should be in that starting lineup, which would have given us four guys who could shoot from the perimeter. I mean, when you and then when you think about Freeman Wright. Jason Clark, Hollis Thompson, if we played a little bit more like the traditional Villanova teams, you know, we really could have been up and down and a a force. They Uh, did at Missouri. Did at Missouri. That's true.
0: (laughs) And also when you look back. Game game tying three. when, When you look back and you're like, let's go ahead and switch Sims and Vaughn.
1: Yeah, but I, look, Henry Sims wasn't ready to play until his senior year.
0: I know, but I'm saying, so, like, when you when you look at, you know, yeah, I mean, shoot, and, switch and switch Benjamin, my guy,
1: yeah, and my guy V Sanford, you know, you said you can't win them all. V Sanford won a game unlike anyone else on that t- in that look. Like, v Sanford won a game in the NCAA tournament. V Sanford, I'm sure I didn't
2: think
1: or or maybe they did. Yeah, I just remembered. Dayton beating Ohio State and V Sanford hitting the game-winning shot. I mean that V Sanford has had a better NCAA tournament moment.
0: All than, right, now we're getting any, really than, sad.
1: Than, than, than any Georgetown player since then. Than, than any Georgetown player since Jeff Green, and oh. ar- arguably the three, <laughs> the three of the three guys who have had the best individual moments to ever wear a Georgetown uniform in the last twenty years. They are Jeff Green, V. Sanford, and Nat Burton. Period. That's the list. I don't even know what just happened. Singular moments <laughs> in the last twenty years. Every by time we bring up the Georgia
2: NCAA tournament, another recruit signs an LOI to Villanova.
0: Come yeah, on, come on. <laughs> um. Okay.
2: Hey, this 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 one's a this one's a win we got coming up here.
0: So yeah, we're going back to madness. <laughs> We seem to be stuck on senior days. Yeah. This is the theme, right? This yeah. is senior, senior, senior. So the 2000, so we got a 3-6 matchup. The 2008 senior day, uh, Georgetown beats Louisville basically in a de facto uh, regular season championship game. 55-52, kind of a game a mother could only love. Uh, DeJuan <laughs> Summers hits a big three to give the Hoyas the win. And it's celebrate good times. Come on. And then we've got this Georgetown win at Connecticut. Hoyas seventy nine, seventy eight. I think this was this was this double overtime. It was this game. You know, I know uh, John. You just talked about some sort of what was it a a cocaine fueled ride of the two thousand ten <laughs> team. This game was that entire season. I think all just in one game. Right. Uh, this was There's no when way it was it just... the
2: two thousand thirteen offense that could ever be an upper. So no. It's not a cocaine thing
0: but yes this is a fun <laughs> game um you know Otto. i i think i think it's actually how he's written in here just you know Otto streaking down the court with this layup with 12 seconds to go unlike what happened in the biggest tournament this year georgetown ended the game on a big run i have that image in my head that was a really fun game the georgetown louisville game meant a lot more but this georgetown game from 2013 in connecticut just what a ride
2: This one and the next one we're going to talk about are both like battles between an important game and just an exciting, fun game. Yeah. Yeah.
0: John, did you want to talk about the attendance from that Georgetown-Louisville game?
2: <laughs> it's it, it's a lot. It's like it's like nineteen one or so. It's not a top ten, but it's close.
0: Oh my gosh! Yes, it's nineteen one. That's an incredible number.
2: You know, that game felt important too. Um, I I remember a lot of Louisville fans came to that game. One of the things that I think helps this game out a lot, aside from, we'd have to go back and look up how often in the history of the Big East Conference, they've actually had a true winner-take-all game on the last day of the regular season. Um, Because Georgetown, I mean, we, we we never happened to be, you know, in our other two times we won the conference, A, weren't playing the team that would have been first place above us, and B, we had to either wait to officially win the conference, or we ended up in a tie. So the fact that it was a winner-take-all game was great. A lot of Louisville fans came to the game. It had a great crowd. It was senior day, and it was honestly for that senior class, too, for the class of, you know, 05 to 08. It's a really important class in Georgetown history. Um, The subtle thing that matters, too, about this game, there was a week off before this game. Um, The Those are the
0: worst. Those are the worst. No, I
2: think it actually helped. The Marquette Unless we game win. we won in overtime <laughs> was the previous Saturday, and we had a week off. I don't I don't remember if Louisville had the week off too, but we had seven days to like build up to this game and know that, yes, it was going to be for the Big East Championship. So that actually – I don't know about you guys. I prefer – given a choice, I prefer the big game to be a Saturday afternoon game as opposed to a weeknight or a weekend night game.
0: I mean – even though right now we have no idea when they're going to play basketball again, although Howie's pretty confident during a season, once league play starts that dreaded week off. I basically, you know, just like a creature of habit, you know, they're going to play during the week, you know, they're going to play on the weekend. And then you're like, wait, up is down left is right. You you know, it's just, it's awful. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Hi, what's the, up, man?
1: The voting, the voting in this one was uh, was was very close, and it it looks like you know so far the the Louisville win, ed, you know, edges our win at UConn. To, to me, it's you know, it's these are these are properly seated as a three and a six. To me, it's kind of a no brainer that the Louisville game has to win out. I mean, this this clinched the regular season title for us this was senior day this was some of the most memorable players in the recent history of the program Hibbert Wallace Crawford Patrick Ewing Jr. you know carrying the trophy off the court as the as the game ends plus it was a close game it was an exciting game DeWan Summers hits the big corner three it was to, to me it's not you can't really compare these two games that said the you know the emotional roller coaster that was the 2012-2013 season was um, was incredible, and that, this was certainly one of the high highs of that season, followed by some uh, <laughs> uh, much discussed low lows that would that would follow uh, just a couple of weeks later. But uh, you know, to me, it's it's got to be the it's got to be the Louisville win. One thing I just wanted to point out from that that UConn game. I mean, because this was double overtime, you know, it. we had guys logging a lot of minutes. And yet, we really only played six guys. So you've got like Otto Otto, and Markel Starks each played 49 minutes. Jabril played 44 minutes. Nate Lubick played 40 minutes. So you see some just, you know, incredible, um, incredible minutes here. And then there are also some like just interesting little box score quirks. Jabril played 44 minutes and only attempted three field goals. Um, you know, the, we had Nate Lubick fouled out in this game, Otto Porter, 49 minutes and only two fouls and only one turnover. So just these these weird little things. Otto had 22 points, five rebounds, four assists, uh, you know, just, it uh, brings back a lot of a lot of memories here.
0: Speaking of these weird box score quirks, uh, one of you guys, sorry, I don't remember which one, brought it up earlier about the lack of free throw shooting in one of the games. In the Louisville game, George Shaw was four for five from the line. And I think I talked about it when we did the first round brackets and we talked about the Davidson game. But you're telling me Roy Hibbert played 36 minutes and didn't get fouled while he was attempting a shot? I, I just, I think I just couldn't get fouls. <laughs> Georgetown starters, Jonathan Wallace was two for two from the line. That is the list of Georgetown starters and free throws. Jeremiah Rivers was 0 for 1 and Patrick Ewing Jr. was two for two. Give me a break. And one, <laughs> one of the big things I remember, it, it being such a nip and tuck game, Louisville was 10 for 18 from the line. Um. You know, Roy Hibbert just couldn't get to the line, which, you know, I, I don't want to pay a ref to come down and take the abuse that he was okay. receiving. But it seems to me like this might be a, a further deep dive is why couldn't Roy Haber get any fouls? I know someone who might pay the way. Do you? <laughs> 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 I have a
2: theory that like, there's some sort of exorcism going on in this most recent season for Georgetown where like every close game or close call we benefited from in 2008 is somehow <laughs> coming back to haunt us in 2020, like to the point where like. I think we've we paid for that,
0: like at least last, twice by now.
2: Last home game, The last home game ended on a questionable goaltending call. And literally one of the same referees was the one who made the goaltending call from the West Virginia game in 08. Like, you know, we definitely had, like yeah, we're probably paying ourselves back i think that the louisville game is the right pick here i think i think we're all in agreement on that um the the connecticut game's a great crazy fun game um we didn't mention that we were we blew a 12 point lead with three and a half minutes to go in this game um we barely nearly blew a five point lead in the last 15 seconds um uconn also ends every ends regulation in both overtimes with three pointers that almost go in that would honestly have been each on their own, the craziest way a Georgetown game had ever ended had any of them gone in. Like, Boatwright legitimately almost banks in a three, falling into his bench at the end of second overtime. Like, it, it, hits this weird, like, corner bank shot and, like, spins out. And that would have been the most devastating loss, like, just by weird quirk that we had had, like, in forever.
0: I would Um, have rather that three-pointer had gone in than the Rashawn Davis three-pointer a couple years later. Yeah, there you go if we're going to pick this daggers this
2: game, this game you know i will say something for the UConn game too you know in a year when you know to get to that final game of that regular season against syracuse at, at the at the verizon center that we get you know we get to hoist the biggies trophy you don't get there we finished in a three-way tie you don't get there without a win like this you needed that win to finish in a first place tie and i think pretty much every season you know and that you get an 18 game season you're going to have a game like that you kind of not luck your way into, but you win a crazy fifty-fifty game. It was like that with the Marquette game in '08, and it's like that with with this game in 2013.
0: Or you could have just gone down to South Florida and won. That that would have done it.
2: Uh, you know, it's. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've been, I've been. Now, listen, I've been to some games in South Florida. I went. To, oh, I know uh, you have. I, is is the '06 South Florida game still on the bracket? I was. That the game. Bracket. I was that game. Yeah, so, yeah, but yeah, I think we we'll both the right.
0: Hey, do we want to go out of order here so we end on a win? Yeah. We end on the madness.
2: Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. I also don't have a ton to say about the other loss,
0: so. Okay. So we've got a we've we're, we're we're gonna we're gonna back-to-back sadness it so we can end. It's like when you're shooting at the park, you can't leave till you make your last shot. We're gonna end in the madness bracket. So we've got a 210 matchup. We've it's um the first matchup is or the first game is from a tournament we've already spoken about. This is The Big East Championship Game from 2008. It's a rematch from the 2007 uh, Pittsburgh 74, Georgetown 65. The Hoyas fail to go back to back. Up against the 10 seed, Georgetown loses to Syracuse 86 79. Which this was Ewing's first matchup against uh, Jim Beheim in the Orange. Although wait, did did Beheim coach this game? I yeah, he coached this game. Did. Okay, so yeah, so it's Ewing's first time against uh, Beheim in the Orange, and this was the ridiculous schedule season. But for a long time in this game, you're starting to think to yourself, "Hey, you know what? Maybe, maybe it doesn't matter who they play. Maybe you know Ewing Ewing just has it." Um, did not uh, what happened two years in a row. This was the first time Georgetown blew a 15 or 13 point lead. They end up losing to Syracuse in overtime. Tyus Battle was a big player again. This is your two ten matchup. Yeah. How are you going you to kick it off, yeah.
2: yeah, you know, for years. Yeah, I guess you know, I was. I was. Look, I was doing some research on the on the Pitt Georgetown game on the Big East final, and it's honestly a game I've largely let go out of my brain or sort of, sort of mental life myself in this one thing i do remember i mean i went up for the game you know this is the you know following up on the west virginia game this is the one i excitedly drove up to new york for um i remember it was we were sitting in front of some pit fans um behind one of the baskets i remember just i think my friend and i just shaking their our saying, hey yeah good game guys you're like you know beat us good luck um i had a weird sense of foreboding after this game that i could never really put my finger on and i just I, you know looking back on it it kind of feels like, I don't want to say something was exposed about Georgetown, but, and this game wasn't a blowout or anything. It was like a 10-point game, but it felt it felt worse than that. It felt like, oh, yeah, okay, like, this is. I think Dewan Blair was on this team and had a pretty big night that night. It just felt like, for some reason, like I said I said last week, that I thought the '08 team was a little bit overrated and they hadn't really beaten a lot of great teams. You know, they, they got beat at Pitt during the regular season. They got beat by Pitt, and it felt like, it wasn't really passing the torch. Pitt had been around for longer at the top of the conference, but it felt like in retrospect, yeah, maybe this was us, kind of our last gasp here on um, this Pitt game. The Syracuse game, again, speaking of, you know, paying, getting, you know, paying ourselves back for, you know, wins in 08, this is one that the um, Syracuse's tying basket at the end of regulation was on a steal off uh, Jesse Govan had a turnover and it ended up as a fast break layup. And then Syracuse had the final possession, but the game tied. And there was like a scramble for the ball and somebody grabbed the ball and there was a tie up that one of the, the baseline official was calling a foul. As the clock ran out. Yeah. There was a question, is it, was it a foul in time? Did the clock expire? And the lead official for that game was Mike Stevens. And Mike Stevens basically like just unilaterally said, yeah, no, we're not looking at that. The clock's done. We're over. And. You, know, you go back and you look at that it's really 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 close the official on the baseline is actually calling a foul um, but they just said ah, you know what oh, you know there was the game in 08 uh, against Villanova where we got the benefit of a call with like a couple tenths left it was a iffy 50-50 call like 60 feet from the basket so I feel like we've now paid that debt back um, But yeah well, we really got to stop getting big leads on Syracuse. It feels like this bracket is littered with, and we led by double digits against Syracuse and dot dot dot.
0: Do you want to know what 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 the free throw shooting numbers were like in that biggies final? I'm, I'm sure staring played. at that right now, and my jaws my jaws dropping. It's unbelievable. So so George Shannon was you know this is the theme here with the Roy Hibbert Hoyas seven for nine. Um, big Roy was uh, one for one. Okay, Pitt was 22 for 44 from the line. In the second half alone, they were 19 for 36. Okay, you're not going to win games like that, okay?
2: Now like, that you know, not, not even mention that, I actually do vaguely remember that Pitt had a lot of free throws. So they didn't shoot very well. So it's like, wow, we really are in <laughs> this game and we shouldn't be.
0: Well, I mean, no one's winning like that when when the yeah. other team shoots 35 more free throws. Come on! What was that? What was DeJuan
2: Blair one? night?
1: Well, just I mean, Roy Hibbert shot one free throw. Levance Fields and Ronald Ramon combined for twenty three field free throws. <laughs> yeah. By the by, Roy. by the way,
2: in, in in the annals of let's remember some guys for the Big East, Ronald Ramon is the most let's remember some guys of let's remember some guys.
0: Anyway. Yeah. I, I, Go on I, I mean,
1: Hallie. I have to say that the, the, so with these games, look, I, I agree the this Pittsburgh loss. So I don't remember thinking about the free throw disparity after this loss. So, it, you know, here, I mean, this is just astonishing. 44 to nine is, <laughs> is, is unbelievable. Uh, and almost as unbelievable as the shot is the fact that Pittsburgh only hit 22 of 44 free throws. I mean, we should have lost, we should have lost this game by 25 points. Um, we were, we were always a little behind pit in this game. Uh, my reaction right after the game was that we, we were just outplayed. We, you know, we didn't have it that day and it was fine because we had just won the biggest title the year before we won the biggest regular season title that year. And we were about to be a two seed in the tournament. And I felt pretty good about our chances. This, that team, you know, we had a lot of close wins but we had a lot of seniors and we had a lot of, you know, up and coming guys like, like Wright and Freeman and, and Macklin. And I felt pretty good heading to, into the, into the NCAA tournament. So, you know, losing the pit, pit getting its revenge against us the year, the year after we beat them, it, it was fine. I, the, the one thing I remember the most from that game was sitting in front of uh, some woman behind me who throughout the game just like made up her own cheers for Georgetown and ingrained in the back of my mind is her shouting come on d let's go d let's go babies and i'm like what are you saying right now this is (laughs) and she just repeated it over and over again and i was trying to switch seats with my roommate from college and uh he's he's too nice and he didn't want to get in trouble by trying to find another seat so we stayed listening to this just that disgusting serenade coming from whoever was sitting behind us. Anyway, I, this loss to me, even though this is a 2-10 matchup, I, I would I would err on the side of picking picking that Syracuse loss for a lot of the reasons you guys have already given. But you know, it was Patrick Ewing's first matchup against Jim Beheim. This is the first time we had lost to Syracuse since we lost to them in the Big East tournament in 2013. So I kind of just felt it just felt a little bit more personal and is with in Patrick, Patrick Ewing's first season as a coach, we didn't really know like that team wasn't really stocked with talent, but we didn't really know what that team was going to do. And when we raced out to an early lead against a pretty good Syracuse team, we're like, there was a sense of optimism at the half and there was a sense of optimism really up until the last five minutes of that game. And we were up by seven with five minutes to go And that's where, you know, in the little blurb I wrote, it was kind of the turning point that I won't forget. For some reason, Marcus Derrickson picks up his fourth foul and Ewing leaves him in the game up by seven with five to go. It's kind of incomprehensible. And then, of course, the very next time down the court, Derrickson gets whistled for a charge. He fouls out. And then all of a sudden, you know, and he was the most important player on that team that year. And and that was it. The wheels come off the wagon. The game goes to overtime. We end up losing it. Uh, shortly thereafter, we end up blowing a similar lead, an even bigger lead to Butler in the biggest opener, and lose that game in overtime too. And and that was the moment in that season where things started to fall apart. Because it was Syracuse. Because it was our first you know real loss that season. I, you know, to me, if we're just going by how I felt in the immediate aftermath. I felt worse after that than I did after we lost to Pittsburgh, even though the stakes were higher in the Pittsburgh game, because I just felt so much – I felt like that season wasn't really over for us.
0: Yeah, I agree, and maybe because in the moment, like I said, I was already planning my my trip to the Final Four, and, you know, Georgetown had been – they'd built up, right? The 06 team almost made the Big East uh, Final – Oh, you know, oh seven, they win it. Oh eight, they're back again. And as you know, and we haven't had to experience this in a while, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it. Well, it gets, it's, it's a lot to go to all these tournaments, right? It's just, it's just a lot. You know, oh seven, you're like living out of a suitcase for a month, right? And what I told myself, and what I usually tell myself, when Georgetown would lose in the Big East tournament, when they're competitive and they're good and they're going to play in in the NCAA tournament is you know what you You want to win every game you play in but you're not going to remember the Big East tournament if you get to the second weekend of the tournament right like you lose to Pitt and you know Georgetown's playing the Sweet 16 in two weeks you don't it doesn't really matter it's cool to look back and say hey you know they won back-to-back tournaments and I get all that I brought it up but that's at least, that was my mindset at the moment. Like I said, it wasn't it wasn't a crushing loss just because you kind of expected this Georgetown machine to kind of keep rolling. One of the things, and we could have talked about it earlier, so Chris Wright was back. And how much do you think him coming back at the end of the season affected Jeremiah Rivers' decision to leave? I, I always sort of wondered, like, you know, maybe if Wright didn't play the whole year and, or... I guess he, he played and then he and then and then he got hurt, but you know, I wonder, you know, if Jeremiah's like, look, I can already tell this is not gonna go well. Like in this particular game, Jeremiah played eleven minutes. Uh Chris Wright played seventeen. And didn't score. Right. Like yeah. do you think and, and, I mean and this is <laughs> he did not score? He was I, he I don't was you know,
1: I'm I'm not I'm actually not worried about, you know, the impact of Chris Wright Chris Wright's minutes on jeremiah rivers's mindset you know this keep in mind that jesse Sapp was on that team yeah and and so chris chris wright was was eating into Sapp's minutes as well we know that this sort of you know reached a boiling point during the following season that fell apart you know when we lost that game at duke but for the last few games of that season you know chris wright was logging minutes that he hadn't logged before so when you toss in 15 20 minutes for for chris wright in the most meaningful games of the season uh, for a team that was stocked with a lot of veteran leadership, even though Chris Wright played well, you know, it, it definitely changed the rhythm of the team. No question.
0: Yeah. And I I think we just, with just, when we talked about it with the win at Connecticut, when you pointed out that, you know, look, this game went double overtime, but only like six guys played, I think JT three was generally better with a shorter bench because they didn't, you know, get up and down the court. You didn't need to be rushing guys in and out like Estrick did, or like Ewing likes to do, or Big John does. Um, and obviously, Chris Wright, really good basketball player. You know, it was great, great Hoya. There's no, that's not what I'm saying here, but I do agree. And yeah, I was going with the the Jeremiah angle just because he eventually leaves, and I think that they could have used the depth and all that stuff. But you're right, it did. It took away minutes from Jesse Sapp and even from Wallace and. It's hard. Well, I guess not Wallace Wallace played 36 minutes, but it it is hard to, no matter how good a player is, particularly a freshman who hasn't gelled with the guys to just be like, we've got this five-star McDonald's all American. And now we're going to play him at the end of the year. It's definitely, definitely a twist there that, well, with, so you he know, was, he didn't, you know he didn't really know the offense.
1: I mean, Chris Wright was more of a freelancer uh, and, and he was, you know, arguably the, the best true point on that team. even as a freshman. So, yeah, uh, you know, it, he would, he was looking a lot more for his shot than the other players were.
0: And I, I could see how that would rub guys the wrong way. One of those things in sports, right? Like if this had worked and they'd got to the final four, we'd be talking about, Oh, you know, it was so great to add depth late in the year, you know, but the fact that we know how it turns out, it's just like, Ooh, like, do you really want to, you know, fiddle with something that's kind of working?
1: But yeah. I, w- one other quick point about that Syracuse game by the way. Remember we we had the worst strength of schedule in the history of competitive sports that season? And so <laughs> I can't remember. Only, I can't remember that. You know, the the only chance we had was to win games like our our only decent non-conference game that year was home against Syracuse. So losing that game also effectively meant that unless we had, you know, a ridiculously good uh uh you know it's twelve or thirteen win biggie season, which was never gonna happen, that we're we're, we're toast that year. So just yeah. losing the game the way we did, blowing that lead, losing the game to Syracuse, our first loss to them in uh five years, all, all of the all of that just made that pretty brutal.
0: you know what though? Big game for Jagan. Big one. Mosley with twenty off the bench, seven for eleven from the field.
2: you want to to end this with
1: a good one
0: this is a really good one this is a really good one this is the madness this is 4-5 matchup 4 seed Georgetown beats Boston College in the second round of the NCAA tournament in 2007 in Winston Salem 62-55 the Hoyas came out on top they were down in the second half and this was an old Big East foe, this was Al Skinner this was Tyrese Rice it's pretty good, you know. Big East-ACC matchup in the second round of the of the tournament, and the five seed is Georgetown seventy-two, Connecticut sixty-nine in two thousand and ten. This was the same score of a Georgetown-Connecticut game. I want to say for was this two years in a row or the two times in a row that they played? But this is the Austin Freeman game. This is not to be confused with the Roy Hibbert three. Uh, Georgetown was right? down big. And Austin Freeman just said, not today, not today, Huskies. It's,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah. This is, Th- this, this is, is a fun, fun, it's fun. Go ahead. Allie.
1: No, 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 no. Go ahead, John. Go ahead.
2: No, this is, this is again, this is a battle between important game and really fun game. The, the Austin Freeman game is one of the most fun games that I've, I've attended in person. Um, it's. I, I sometimes refer to like the top five or six crowds. It's the second half crowd in this game is probably one of them. Um, the, it's an amazing like crowd performance, and like it just crescendos and keeps going up and up. You know, we we erased the first half. We were down like 18-20 at the end of the first half. We erased that deficit fairly quickly in the second half, and then the end of the game, the last like eight minutes or so, are almost like a one-possession game back and forth. Um, I this is probably I, I was I was thinking about if, is Austin the best like spl- like in terms of Georgetown players like the best spurt player or best heat check player we've ever had in terms of he can just go off like this he did it in several other games too um I'm thinking like you know LJ would do it sometimes DSR did it sometimes Kevin Braswell once in a while would do it um but when Austin went off I mean he was doing it fast breaks pull-ups from mid-range three-pointers he was doing everything in that game um it's a really really fun game um i didn't vote for it because i have i it's more of a personal thing with the with the boston college game that was uh that was the first year i went to the ncaa tournament um
0: you didn't go in 2006
2: no actually i was i was in grad school and i i booked myself to go home for okay. a break to see my family. So that was the week of the tournament. Um, yeah. I saw, I, I missed out on that one. My wife went to Dayton, said it was lovely. Um, oh, Lincoln, it was is a terrific city. I've been, i have been there a few times before that. I actually have some family from that area. Um, I think I'm sad. They don't play in the, the Lawrence Joel veterans Memorial Coliseum anymore in the tournament. It's a perfect size venue for something like that. It's 14,000, but it feels way smaller than that. Um, See, I, I tagged along on the Hoya Blue Road trip. Um, you know, there are all kinds of fun stuff going on that we'll talk about in a different podcast one day, sure. Um, yeah, like you said, we were we were down at the half in this game. We're down eight in the second half. This is a way, way closer game than I think a lot of people remember. Um, it's essentially Boston College has the ball with a chance to take the lead like in the last two and a half minutes of the game. Like it's that close. Um, we were on a little bit of a knife's edge there. Um, but it's a really fun game. I was in the lower level behind Georgetown's bench. Um, so Patrick Ewing's reverse dunk. He's coming, he's running away from us where um, we were on that side of the court. So feels like he practically touched the rim from where you're sitting. So I have a personal like connection for that game. So I voted for it, but the Austin Freeman game is so darn fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it, and I'm not sure how the voting turned out in this one. This was this was kind of a toss-up, uh, but I, I agree with you. It's it's got to be the Boston College one that that prevails. This game was neck and neck. Uh, you know, it was there was also something personal about facing Boston College. Just you know, this is our first matchup since they had left the Big East. Uh, it it there was there was something sweet about this one, and also just going up against Jared Dudley. The Patrick Ewing Jr. dunk was a thing of beauty. Uh, That was, you know, and that that was, we were up by four when he had that like reverse dunk to put us up six with a minute to go. So this game was close with, with even a minute to go. Uh, And like you said, we were down, uh, we were down seven points in the second half of this game. So to come back and win the way we did was, was nice a couple of quirks from that Boston college box for um, Jeff green had five blocks, but he also had five turnovers and Patrick Ewing jr probably had the, the quintessential Patrick Ewing jr game in 27 minutes. He had six points, four rebounds, three assists uh, and he hit a three. So that's just, I mean that's the way he played, just doing a little bit of everything, and and I'm sure he played great defense as he normally did. And I mean, the Austin Freeman game. I mean, look, it was it was a UConn team that was a pretty good team. Kemba Walker was on that team. Kemba finished the game with only nine points and five turnovers. Uh, and and for us, Austin Freeman was I mean, we've said ridiculous, thirty three points, seven rebounds. Three steals, two assists. He was all over the place. I, Jason Clark, unusually 26 minutes, zero points. thought that was odd after looking at the box score. <laughs> and uh, and Greg Monroe also had a, a really good game. He had a double-double, 15 and 10 in that one also. But what makes this one tough is the win against Boston College was just so much more meaningful because it took us to the Sweet 16. Uh, and it was a nail-biter the game against Yukon was it's just undeniably one of the best home games in the last 10 years of the program uh, or the last 15 years of the pro- of the program uh it's it it was every bit of every bit as special as the one the year before when Hibbert hit the hit hit the three at the end to give us the win
0: so so we pretty much but, always vote importance over sizzle right we're we're kind yeah. of all in agreement
2: yeah, this one, it, this is so close. I mean, you can't you can you can't go wrong with this one, but I I, I have the personal question, but i still
0: vote it for Yeah, I, I just remember Bob's being time. down in Winston-Salem and being like, they cannot go out to these guys. And, you know, sometimes you have to survive a game like this. I, I know that Georgetown often doesn't survive the first game, but this is the kind of game when you're a two-seed, right? When you're a one-seed, when you're a three-seed, you know when you get to the when you get to saturday or sunday of the first weekend you're usually playing a program you know obviously boston college hasn't been good but you're playing a you know a mid a mid level team from a power conference and you know even though you got that two by your name you know it's kind of you know this game's 50-50 right you know they've got they've got really good guys you've got you've got really good guys and they survived a clunker from jeff green 4 for 12 um, I wish he would have taken twelve shots in Atlanta, um, but you know, this was. And I don't know if you guys were there for the first game, but I mean, the Belmont fans. I'm just, I'm just going through Winston Salem Rolodex in my head right now. I remember the Belmont fans being particularly annoying. Uh, this was, you know, before Georgetown had, had a history of losing that I like, game.
2: I like them. Look, they they all dress the same, they come out in <laughs> big numbers, they cheer for their team. I love the Belmont fans. We've seen them twice in the NCAA too. I well, have no complaints.
0: Yeah, no, if you're Georgetown and you're a high seed, you want to you want to you want to see the Bruins, right? Like that's a team you know you can beat. I'm just saying I remember my first, you know, you're you, you know, you're down in Winston-Salem, it's the South. Everyone's supposed to be friendly, and I just remember they <laughs> they were they seemed pretty cocky and, you know, just just my takeaways from my Winston-Salem experience.
2: So, this, so the Boston College game, just to, to end it here for me, is another one of those, the game that gets you to the game. Like, we're going to talk at some point in these podcasts about the Vanderbilt game and about the North Carolina game because they're both one seed. I think they're probably both making the Final Four. But you don't get to those games. You don't have those experiences unless you gut out this Boston College game. Yeah. So there's always the game that gets you to the game.
0: It's very well said.
1: All right. Before, How before you we wrap the- up, can I just keep- yeah, I just want to give you one little, and this is neither here nor there, but just getting back to, you know, what do we get from discussing some of these losses? And, and uh, just with the, one of the things I've noticed that we haven't really, uh I don't really think it's been fleshed out that much. When I look back at a lot of the big losses we've had, the really memorable losses between, I guess it was like 2012 and, and 2015. One of the things I've noticed is, DSR usually didn't have a good game, like had a little bit of a clunker. And maybe we can talk about this in another <laughs> in another pot. But uh, just just take a look at the box scores for some of the more memorable losses uh, and look at look at what DSR was or wasn't doing.
0: I mean, I think the the one that stands out, even though I said it wasn't a crushing loss, is his inability to make a three against Utah. Just sticks in my head. Like, how did that happen? Oh, for seven. Yeah. Well, wait. I thought we were supposed to go out with unicorns uh, and on rambos. a high note. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: well, the high the high note is DSR is probably one of my favorite players of all time, and he's one of the leading scorers in Georgetown history, and he's a okay. an guy, and I'm glad he came back for his senior year, and this is a really good recovery. him? Yeah.
0: Sure, he's yeah. listening.
2: Huh. Tough matchup for that speaking of DSR, tough matchup for the Eastern Washington game having to go up against the Duke game, but such is life. What's that? Tough tough matchup for the Eastern Washington game in the bracket, having to go up against I think the O six Duke game.
0: But, oh yeah, that's not that's not gonna be good for them. <laughs> to be fair, against
1: Eastern Washington, DSR was our leading scorer with twenty five yep. points and he hit there four threes. So redeemed, that was also but, the- had had we lost to Eastern Washington, that would have been a disaster.
0: That was also the uh Bradley Hayes scholarship earner game, I think.
1: Yeah. It's a great game in that one. It was. There that, you go. That was also the game when Mikhail Hopkins unbelievably shot <laughs> eight free throws and made all eight of them.
0: You know, big time <laughs> performers step up in the biggest moments.
1: There we go. There it is. All right, are we good? <laughs> What, why did wh- why did LJ am I was peak hurt? <laughs> why did LJ Peak only play six
0: minutes against Eastern Washington? I'm sure he was in foul trouble. I don't have the box in front of me. I'm gonna apologize. I do six minutes one
1: six minutes zero points zero fouls. My memory like
0: I feel like Trey Campbell played pretty well. He did, but I mean, we he was.
1: Peak was electric the following game against Utah. He got off to that amazing start that we talked about last week, but that's, that's a little odd. Six minutes, though. I don't, I mean, yeah, Trey played 28 minutes. Paul White played 29 minutes. Bowen played 17 minutes. We had a lot of guys coming in off the bench, I, but still, this was a little weird.
0: Well, I think we're teasing our. Uh... We're going to we're going to do an in-depth analysis on the 2015 tournament in Portland that a lot of us were unable to attend. But guys, this has been another great Monday night pandemic bracket Hoyas, madness and sadness, all that good stuff. Hopefully everyone is going to continue to listen to these subscribe. A lot of you have give us a rating. Get Howie on Twitter. Um. John is on Twitter at Florida Hoya. I'm at Bobby Bancroft, and we will see you soon. Go D, go baby. Thank you guys so much. (laughs) See you.